like me, is fascinated by the idea of what's possible. In high school, he competed in soccer, basketball and track events until injury put an end to his dreams of being a full-time athlete. He spent 10 years addicted to drugs and alcohol and ended up spending two years in prison for drug-related offences. That was 19 years ago, and he's been sober ever since. In 2007, he decided to write a book, 800 Metres, start a charity called A Generation Free, and go on a 12,000-mile bike ride around the US to promote it. Michael suffered all kinds of injuries since that first one in his junior year of high school. And in 2015, finding himself out of options other than continued operations that weren't fixing the problems in his back and hips, he spontaneously healed himself. And from that moment on, has found that he can focus his intention on, on others. And in the majority of cases, they are able to heal themselves too. Michael Lehman, welcome. And thank you for joining us on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Michael, before your initial injury, sports were a massive part of your life. Can you tell us a bit about what life was like prior to that injury and how everything changed as a result? Yeah. I mean, you know, gr growing up, life was, was pretty good. Um, I, was, I was blessed with natural athletic ability. So, you know, naturally, I, I gravitated um, towards sports. But but also I, I gravitated towards sports because that was something that I was, or I thought that I was able to be perfect at. And so being a perfectionist, it was easy for that to translate into sports. Now, if schoolwork wasn't something that I was willing to put that same, right? I mean, I was a perfectionist, but yet I didn't get perfect grades. Because in my mind, I justified that, well, if I don't care, then it doesn't matter if I'm perfect or not. So I didn't necessarily care about school. So it didn't matter if I got A's or B's or C's. I just kind of did what it, what it took to get by. So, you know, from five or six years old, it was pretty much sports. Now... as long as I was the best, it wasn't necessarily an issue. And I, I didn't really have anything to compare it to because being naturally talented and being better than most of the other kids at that time, it didn't, it didn't seem like it could have ever been uh, an issue. You know, looking back, there were little things that started to happen that, that I did that got it to the place to where I finally had a, a major injury my junior year in high school, that it was that much easier to make uh, choices that would have been, that would be detrimental to my athletic career. But, you know, looking back, there were still things that had happened. I mean, I remember um, in sixth grade, we were running the, the mile in, in gym class. Now, I, I was faster than the, than all the other kids. There was no reason that I should have been worried that I couldn't beat the other kids. But I remember there was about 100 or 200 yards left and I was running with two other kids in my class. And instead of just doing my best and winning, I said to my friends, um, Hey, why don't we just run across the finish line at the same time and tie? 
and they agreed. And then at the last minute, I, I sprinted ahead and, and won. So, I mean, that's, I mean, looking back, that's a pretty major event of doing whatever, whatever it takes to appear, you know, like I'm winning. But to me, it, it didn't necessarily matter about doing my best. The only thing that mattered is the appearance of, of being the best. And so, you know, that was fine when, when competition wasn't as strong, but, you know, as I got, you know, older, the pressure became more and, and more. And when I finally was injured playing basketball, I broke my kneecap um, and I had to have surgery and I had two screws put in it. And at the time, you know, the doctor said it was going to be six months before I could run again. And in my mind, six months seemed like the rest of my life. And everything that I had thought that I wanted out of life, all of a sudden didn't seem like it was going to happen. So up until that point, I had friends that had already started to drink. Um, but I was I still wasn't willing to say yes, because that didn't align with what my my goals were and but yet i still hung out with friends that that drank but in that that moment of weakness you know after thinking well my life's already over and things just happen to all line up it's like my parents were never out of town at the same time but yet that weekend my parents just happened to be out of town and I have an older sister and, and a younger brother and younger sister. And for whatever reason, I was the only one at the house. And so when my friends came over that night in that moment of weakness and asked me if I wanted to drink, then I, I said yes. And mm -hmm. what, what happened in, in that moment was all the pressure that I had put on myself my entire life to be perfect all of a sudden was gone. So I did experience some amount of, of relief, you know, whether it was, you know, six hours or eight hours, I don't know the exact, you know, duration of time, but that entire experience, all the pressure of being the best was gone, right? I didn't have to worry about any of my problems. Now, the next day, when you kind of, you look back on the experience, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to get in trouble. My parents are going to find out. The coach is going to find out. You know, church is going to find out. Whatever that, that fear of that choice is, well, none of that actually happened. And so, you know, the next weekend, it was, it was that much easier to, to say yes and, and to do it again. And plus, I was, I was getting something fr from it. You know, I was getting relief from my, my situation. Um, but the thing is, is in your mind or in my mind, I always thought that, okay, well, this is just going to be temporary, right? I'll just do this until I'm able to compete again. But what happens is, is, you know, the six months didn't end up being the six months. I was playing basketball about a month and a half later. Not that I was supposed to necessarily because I, my, my doctor didn't say that I could play basketball. I forged a note that said I could play basketball and I, you know, played in the last couple games, but 
as soon as it's time to say no again, you know, all the pressure of saying no, but then saying yes, and then having to say no again is, is more than I was willing to, to do. And so I continued to drink. And when track season started that year, I, I had run in the 800 my, my sophomore year, or 157, which for a sophomore, that's a, a, a really good time, which made it so that the next year coming back, I was one of the top 800 runners in the state. And the, the expectation of me continuing to be one of the, you know, the top runners and the pressure and people maybe not knowing that I was injured and, you know, some of the uh, issues I was having with pain and the screws coming out and, and all that. The, the first meet of the year, I was able to run a 158. So obviously, physically, I was all right. But as the year progressed, mentally, it got worse and worse and worse because the expectations were became more and more. So that wasn't a very good track season. I never ran a 158 again the rest of the year. Um, I started experiencing pain because the screws were coming out and they were rubbing on a tendon, but I, I mostly used that as an excuse not to, 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 you know, to do my best. Now, my sophomore year in the 400, I ran a 50, 52.5, right? Well, my junior year in the 400, you know, after the injury, I ran like a 50.5. So I was faster and I could run one lap because it really didn't matter. I didn't have to think. I just went out and ran as fast as I could. But two laps, I, I, was, I ran looking behind me because I was so worried about losing. All that mattered was finishing first. It, it had nothing to do with, with doing my best. And so that summer, I ended up having a second surgery on my knee where they, they took the screws out. And um, the soccer season that fall, I was, I was faster than ever. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a great year. Now, I was still, I, I was still drinking, but I, I some, somewhat thought I had that, you know, together. And then basketball season that year, I got injured again. And this time it was towards the end of the season, closer to track season. And so at that point, I think is where I kind of just finally just said, you know, whatever. Um, and so, you know, track season didn't, didn't go well. I, again, I was able to run the 400 my senior year, 48.5, which I should have from how fast I was able to run the 400 and my times in practice, I should have been able to run a 150 in the 800, which would have been, you know, close to a state record at the time. But I, I was unable to run two laps. And the, the final, my final, you know, track meet my senior year was the worst experience of my life up to that point. I was in the 800, I was in first place with about 200 yards to go. 
And the next thing I remember, I was walking across the finish line in last place. So the last, you know, 25 seconds, I, I don't even remember what happened. And then I had one more chance to compete in the mile relay. Our team should have made it to the, to the state meet. And I, I got, I was the anchor leg. So I was running last. I got the baton in like sixth or seventh place. And I was frustrated about my 800 performance. I was upset with my teammates for not running faster. I got the baton. I cut a couple guys off. I took too many steps on the inside and I ended up getting our, our team disqualified. Um, and so we weren't even able to make it to state and compete in the mile relay. And so I think that that was, you know, May, May 19th and the last day of school was like June 10th or June 12th, something around there. And I pretty much just barely, you know, graduated, you know, luckily I had done enough up to that point to, to, to graduate. But before that drinking had been just kind of like a weekend thing. And after that point, it, it became almost like an everyday thing. And the, I didn't have any plans, right? All the, all the scholarship offers that I, that I had had all of a sudden started to, to go away and I didn't necessarily even care. And so um, I, I ended up going to, um, I have one of the coaches at one of the colleges in town that asked me if I wanted to come play soccer and that he would talk to the track coach to see if I could, you know, run track there. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really have any other options and my friends were leaving to college and I was just kind of, you know, hanging around, just kind of doing the same things. So that was kind of the, you know, the initial huge experience and huge lesson, you know, in my life. Absolutely. Real, um, a search for purpose, I guess. And that, like you say, you, you were lucky enough to have, have it all and be able to take for granted a future, future with all of, all of those things. And then all, all of a sudden it, it, it got taken away. So yeah. how, how did you end up in prison? Um, well, you know, if, if you don't ever learn your lesson, then the lessons continue to be bigger and bigger. And so I, growing up, I really never learned to do hard things because most things were really easy and anything that was difficult, I, I got out of. Um, and so I started playing soccer at, at uh, Portland State University and moved out of my parents' house because things at my parents' house at that point weren't going very well because I was doing one thing and they wanted me to do something else. And so there was that clash. So I moved in with a couple guys on the soccer team. And, you know, one of the guys that, that um, I moved in with, he liked to break into places. Um, and so after we drank at night, we would go break into places just, you know, being stupid. And so, and it's not that that was my first experience with, with doing that kind of stuff because after my initial injury, um, I, I had the attitude of kind of like, catch me if you can. 
And so um, it was easier just to walk into the, to the grocery store and put alcohol in a bag and a, and a cart and push the cart out the door than to try and find somebody to buy, you know, alcohol. So I'd already started, you know, stealing alcohol and justifying it that, well, I would have bought it if they would have sold it to me, but right. Since they won't, right. I'll just have to take it. And so, I mean, I was already doing little things like that, that, you know, were, were not right. Right. But, you know, justifying it, that it was about the experience um, or just stealing something just to see if I could. And so um, having, a roommate that wanted to do, you know, the, the same type of stuff, the outcome wasn't going to, wasn't going to be good. And we ended up for whatever reason, we decided that we would break into the apartment complex that we lived in and take the big screen TV and the stereo equipment and whatever. And I think somebody, um, had, had seen us, but we didn't get in trouble for that. We had ended up, going into another apartment complex and somebody saw my truck. And so we finally got arrested for, for, for burglary. And I went to jail for the first time and um, got kicked off the soccer team. The, the track coach said, you know, probably not a good idea if you come out for track. And but really at that point, it didn't necessarily matter because it probably wouldn't have even made it to that point because I wasn't going to class. I mean, I was enrolled in school and I think the whole time that I was enrolled in the school, I made it to like three, three or four classes. I had classes with my roommate and for whatever reason, when we did go to class, we could make it about an hour into class and then we'd start laughing about something stupid and then just leave class. So, I mean, I wasn't doing anything other than just goofing around and drinking. And so that only does it for so long, right? And after, after I got kicked off the soccer team, I mean, what else do I have to lose? I already had fake ID. I was going to the clubs. Somebody asked me if I wanted to try ecstasy and I'm like, yeah, sure. What is it? You know, they give you that spiel. Well, it's, you know, the greatest thing ever. And so, who doesn't want to try the greatest thing ever. Right. And so, and, and I'd already tried, you know, um, acid once, once or twice and, uh, marijuana. So it really wasn't that big of a stretch. Plus gosh, if ecstasy is 25 bucks and I spend, you know, 40 bucks drinking, I'm actually saving, saving money. And if it's that much better and you don't have a hangover, right. I mean, that's a pretty good sales pitch. So, you know, I did ecstasy for the first time and that was like, wow, that's the greatest thing ever. And so, you know, for two or three months, that greatest thing ever is enough. But eventually it becomes, you know, acid and ecstasy. And then it becomes like two hits of acid and two hits of ecstasy. And then pretty soon I'm selling ecstasy at the clubs, you know, because I have to somehow pay for, you know, the amount of money that I'm spending on it. And it allows me to be the center of attention, something that I was lacking because I wasn't participating in sports anymore. So pretty quickly it, it snowballs, you know, out of control. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm only 18. 
right? I'm still having fun doing this. And so maybe I'll do this for a year or so, and then I'll get back to competing in sports. But, you know, you never get back to doing the other stuff because you just continue to progress. And I remember there was a, there was a moment when I, my roommate and I, we needed to be out of our place. He had already decided he was going to move in with his girlfriend, but I hadn't really planned on what I was going to do. And I had to be out of my apartment on um, Sunday night at midnight. And I remember I, I partied Thursday night and Friday night and it was, it was Saturday afternoon and I was sitting in an empty apartment. I had all my clothes in black garbage bags. I'd gotten rid of all my other stuff and I was sitting there and I was just thinking, what is going on? Right? Like <laughs> this is, this is out of control. And so I, I had that first, this was like that first moment when I was like, I got to do something different. Well, I, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do, you know, ecstasy or, or acid for a while. I'm going to try to maybe, you know, get things under control. And I remember my, my friend called me and said, hey, are you coming out tonight? And I was like, well, my life sucks. I don't have a place to live. My clothes are in a bag. You know, I haven't slept in two days, right? And, you know, I gave him that, that spiel. And he's like, well, you know, just come out. You don't have to do, you don't have to do drugs, right? And I'm like, well, I just got a job at the Olive Garden waiting tables and I have to be there at 11 tomorrow and I don't want to lose my job. And he's like, well, just come out. I'll make sure you get there. And so I'm like, all right, well, come in, get me. I'll go throw my clothes at, in my parents' garage or something. And so we went out and I remember I was just sitting there. I was tired. You know, everybody's dancing, having a good time. And, you know, it's no fun when you're the only one not doing anything. And I remember this guy came up to me that, that I had met the weekend before. And he said, hey, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, ah. Uh, and I gave him the whole spiel. And it's like, wow. I mean, last week you were all over the place. You were dancing, having a good time. And now you're just, you know, just sitting here depressed. He's like, well, do you want to try speed? And I'm like, well, you know, what, what speed? And again, you know, get that, that spiel. Oh, well, it gives you energy. You're able to stay up all night you know, all the things that they, that they say. And I'm like, well, gosh, that, that actually sounds rather good at the moment. I'm like, well, I have to work tomorrow at 11. Is it going to, you know, mess that up? And he's like, oh, no, you'll be fine tomorrow at 11. And so I went out to the car with him, and I, I did speed for the first time and came back into the club, and, you know, it was just like the first time that I did ecstasy. It was on again, right? And so – I ended up, I met a girl that night. <laughs> um, she had a place for me to live. She made sure that I got to, to my job the next day. And wow, life was, life was great again, right? And so, you know, that just opened up that whole, you know, new experience. So it was, you know, whereas with ecstasy, it was like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing. Um, you know, methamphetamine is something you can do all the time. And I remember there was this point when it was 
I still, in my mind, justified that I'm just a partier because I only do it on the weekends, right? And it was a Monday afternoon, and I was supposed to be to work at, I think, 5 o'clock. And it was like 3.15, 3.30 in the afternoon, and I, I could not get my head off the pillow. And I had a little bit left from the weekend, and I was like, well, I'm just going to do a little bit you know, in order to get to work. And I did a little bit and I, and I got to work. And that was the, the, the first day that I started doing it every day. And so, you know, from that point on, it just became something that I did. And then I ended up starting um, to sell it and I made a lot of money and it wasn't an issue at first, but then I started getting robbed at gunpoint and going to jail for little things here and there. And eventually, you know, it, it became an issue. So for the last three years, I was on the run from the police because I had warrants in two different counties and I was probably going to go to prison for multiple years. And I didn't, I didn't really care. I just went from house to house and the, Police continued to try and get me, but I was always able to run and get away. And I remember I, and I, I had a son, and I, I saw him for about a week and then decided I needed to leave for a couple days to go, you know, and at this point I'm manufacturing meth. I needed to leave for a few days so that I could manufacture meth and make some money. And the couple days turned into multiple weeks. And when I finally went back to where uh, he was living and his mom was living, she had packed up her stuff and moved. So, you know, I was just like screwed at that point. And about six months later, I was at a house in a, in a smaller town that's about, you know, 40, 40 minutes or so from where I spent most of my time. And it got raided. And Again, for whatever reason, I was able to run and get away. But the difference was is this time I didn't, I didn't leave town. Um, in the past, I would have gone somewhere else. And I had plenty of places that I could have gone, plenty of you know, people that wanted me to go to where they were. And I didn't leave. And it was a couple weeks later, I was asleep on a bed. And I, I heard the police in the other room. And... In the past, I would have just gotten up, jumped out the window and run. And for whatever reason, I just sat there. And when they came into the room, I stood up, put my hands behind my back. They handcuffed me and, and that was it. And I had, a, I had a brief moment of clarity, you know, like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, knowing that that was going to be the last time that I was going to get arrested. But, you know, then you get thrown into jail. And the people that are in jail are the same people that you've been hanging out with out of jail. They're just the ones that are locked up at the time. And so it really took about three or four months before I was able to start um, thinking a little bit different and doing things a little bit different. Um, but I did know that, that it was going to be different after that point. And it wasn't that that was the first time that I went to jail. Um, it was just, I think that was the point where I finally decided that I was going to do whatever it took to change. Because 
up until that point, I, I wanted to pick and choose what I was going to do differently. So maybe I don't want to do meth anymore. But you know what, I still want to do ecstasy and acid and go to the club because when I was doing that, it, it was fun, right? Nothing ever went wrong when I was just doing that. And so, but doing that always led back to using meth. And it's not like the, the whole experience was, was great either, either. I mean, there was, I was robbed at gunpoint multiple times. I've been shot at. I was kidnapped for six months to manufacture, you know, meth for a, a group of bikers, uh, hit with baseball bats. I mean, so it, it wasn't that the experience was always enjoyable, but it was just that up until that point, I didn't know necessarily what else to do. And it's one thing when you're 18, right? Because you think, ah, I can stop at any time. But as time goes on, you're, you're 21 and you're thinking, oh, well, everything that I wanted to do, I'm almost past the, the time of being able to do that, right? So it's easier just to continue what you're doing. Um, luckily, I always knew deep down inside that it wasn't going to last forever. Right? I'm not exactly sure, you know, why I knew that or how I knew that. I just knew that whatever the experience was, was something that, that I needed to experience. And so that always gave me a little bit of hope or enough hope to make it through the, you know, the really bad times. Mm, yeah. It sounds, I mean, it's easy in hindsight to say, isn't it? But I, it almost sounds like you were waiting. You were waiting for that opportunity to make that change. Well, either I was, I was waiting for that opportunity or just that certain things needed to, to happen in order for me to have the full experience that I needed to have. You know, looking back, it's like, would I, would I change anything? You know, people always ask, well, would you change things? Would you do it different? But if, if all the choices that I made before I said yes to drinking had been different, then I wouldn't, wouldn't have said yes to drinking. But everything that I was doing up until that point led me to make the choice to drink. So I was making poor choices, which when you, when you make poor choices, eventually something is going to happen so that hopefully you'll realize that, oh, maybe you should start making different choices because it wasn't necessarily the drinking, right? The drinking is just what came to the forefront. It was the other behaviors, you know, that, that led to the drinking. And so all, everything that, that needed to happen ended up happening so that I could finally decide that, oh, wait, maybe I want to do things differently. And so it wasn't just one thing I needed to change. I really needed to change everything. But once I made the choice to, to do things differently, it, it wasn't very difficult. Yeah. Right? But we always give ourselves outs. People that want to be clean, they'll say, well, I'll be clean and sober unless this, this, and this happens. But 
this, this, and this always happens, right? It's like, I, I'm not going to use unless my girlfriend breaks up with me. And then what's the next thing that happens is your girlfriend breaks up with me, or I'm, I'm not going to use unless I'm unemployed and I need to make money. But that always presents itself in order to test you to see if what you said is actually correct. Right. So, um, whether it's like the, the, the universe or, you know, higher power or whatever, or just how the system works, right. We're, we're always going to be put in places where we can test ourselves to see if what we said we were going to do is, is really what we're going to end up doing. So once I made the choice that no matter what, I wasn't going to go back. I, I haven't gone back. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's been perfect since or that I always make the, the greatest of choices because there's a lot of things that, that I do that aren't the best choice. But those are all things that I continue having to, you know, to work on because that's all part of my, my personality. So it's, it's, it's always about I've lost the, you again. How about now? Can you hear me? I can now, yes. I've lost you for about another 20 seconds again. Yeah. So I think I was going to say, it's, it's always about the experience. And then in that experience, making the, the best possible choice with the information that you have at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I hope that... That answered that, that, <laughs> yes. that question. That's a lot of information. That is a lot of information. Shall we move forward and, and, and you tell us a little bit about the rock that took your injury away? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole different, you know, experience. That's another chapter. Um, and, you know, there's been, there's been, you know, three or four major events in my life that have, have really stood out, you know, the, the addiction, you know, and recovery, you know, obviously the sports. Um, I, when I was in prison um, or in jail waiting to go to prison, I, I had kind of come up with an idea for a nonprofit and um, that I wanted to help people because the only way that, that the experience made sense is that the, there was a purpose right? So um, out of that, maybe I'm meant to help these people. And I'd always felt like I needed to help people, but you, you can't help people doing the same thing that they're doing, right? You have to be doing something different in order to help. But then, you know, I got out of, out of, out of prison. Um, I started working. I got a job at a, a finance company. I ended up working my way up from being a salesperson to managing to purchasing the company. Things didn't work out with my son's mom, but I, I met somebody else and I got married and all of a sudden it's 2007. My daughter's born and I really hadn't done what I had set out to do when I got clean. And so that's when I decided that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book. I'm going to start this nonprofit. 
and I'm going to go on a 12,000 mile bicycle ride around the United States to promote it. But long story short, nothing in this turned out the way that I had planned. I mean, I was supposed to have books when I left. I didn't have books till I got back. Um, it was just one thing after another. And so that experience didn't turn out, you know, the way that I had, that I had wanted. And I ended up, um, six months after I got back breaking three ribs, playing city league softball and just kind of almost giving up again. And it wasn't until, you know, 2011 that I finally started pulling myself, you know, back out of this cycle again and refocusing. And then I ended up getting hit on my bicycle. Um, I, I had just had double knee surgery, got hit, um, by a car, had to have both my knees operated on again. And this just kind of continued to progress to the point to where in 2015, I, I had just had a back surgery for an eight and a half millimeter protrusion in L4, L5. I'd lost three inches of muscle off of my um, right leg because the nerve was being pinched. I had groin pain, like I was getting kicked all day long. Um, and then found out I re-herniated the same disc and then, oh, wait, well, that's not even the reason you have the groin pain. The reason you have groin pain is because you have bilateral impingements in your hips and torn labrums, and you're going to have to have those operated on. And, oh, my wife decided that she, um, wanted a boyfriend more than she wanted to be, to be married. So in a, in a moment of no other options, I was able to instantly heal myself. And I don't even know if saying it gives it the, the, the impact that, it, you know, that really, had or what actually happened. But one moment I couldn't walk upright. Um, and, you know, it was all I could do to just hobble around it to make it, you know, through the day. And the next moment I was paddle boarding across the Columbia River, which is about a quarter mile across, quarter mile back. And I mean, a big, fast moving, you know, river. So one moment I had all these things and the next minute I didn't have all these things. Um, now I'd gone out of town and went a, a short distance on this trail by a river and I, I found a rock and I, I, I put all the pain in, in a rock and I threw the rock in the river. And as soon as I did that, it, it was all gone. Wow. Now, looking back, the pain probably didn't go into the rock, but the rock allowed me to get rid of everything that I had been holding on to for all those years. So, you know, since I found out, oh, wait, you're, you're highly empathic. Right. So I've been taking 
other people's stuff for all these years and, and claiming it as mine. So I've had seven right knee surgeries, two left knee surgeries, two broken ankles, a torn quad, two torn hamstrings, the hip issues, the back issues, right? So all these things were, were more a result of me holding on to things um, more so than sports injuries. But everybody wants to say, oh, it's the sports, you play too hard, blah, blah, blah right? Wear and tear, all those things. But really, it's that as soon as I made the choice to start doing things that weren't in alignment with my purpose, I decided that, you know what, my life already sucks. So I might as well take on everybody else's stuff so that their life doesn't suck as bad. And so I kind of became a mini, a mini savior. And so until I was able to let go of that in a way that it wouldn't affect anybody else. Cause I just didn't want to let my pain go and have it go into the person next to me or the person, you know, down the street or the bird that's flying above. Right. I had gotten to the point to where I had already started understanding a little bit more about energy and frequency and vibration and that, uh, that, you know, things could be programmed with certain energies or frequencies that would promote you know, athletic performance or healing. Um, I'd already done experiments with programming a rock with a certain frequency and then having somebody hold it and muscle test to see if it strengthened them or weakened them. So I already knew that that was, that was a possibility. Um, but it took, it took me getting to a point to where there were no other options to finally let it work for me. Right. I was willing to let it work for others, but you know, for whatever reason, I, I didn't think that I was worthy of healing or it was just easier to go to the doctor and schedule surgery. But all of a sudden there wasn't that next appointment that was 30 days later or 60 days later. Right? The, the back um, the doctor wanted me to do, have me do my hips first. The hip doctor wanted me to do my back first and then get in shape for a year so that he could do the hips, right? So at that point, there was no next appointment. It was either I heal myself or I didn't know what I was going to do. But, you know, the, the greatest thing that happened out of that experience was that after that, I found that, oh, I can focus my intention on other people and they're able to start to heal themselves as well. How soon did you discover that you were able to do that? Um, it probably wasn't very long. I mean, I had already, like I said a minute ago, like I had already started doing things with, energy and frequencies and vibrations. Like I already got to the point to where I was making um, patches that people could wear that were programmed with certain frequencies. And without the patch, they might be able to do, let's say 10 push-ups. And with the patch, they were able to do 13 or 15. And then I got to the point to where, wait a second, it's, I don't even necessarily need them to have the patch on them. I can hold the patch and just focus my intention on them and they can do the same as if they had the patch on. So I, 
I already started to, to understand, you know, all this possibility. Um, after the moment that I healed myself, a, a whole new reality opened up rather quickly. So a lot of things happened in a, in a really short uh, amount of time. Like so many things that like looking back at, if I don't think about all the things and, you know, write them down, it's like, wow, I can't even believe that that happened or wow, I can't even believe that that happened. So it was a lot of stuff happening, you know, rather quickly. And it wasn't that right at that moment, I was able to um, get the results I get now, but everything that happened um, after that led to the, to the point to where now I'm able to just, in a short amount of time, like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, focus my intention on somebody and they most of the time tend to get better. Mm. Mm. Very fascinating, fascinating stuff. How did, so how did that, I had a, when you threw the rock, was that a spontaneous thing? Or because you'd already been working with your patches and, and programming things, was that something that you'd set about in advance to, to go and do? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily set out with that intention as much as I left town and drove a couple hours away just because I needed to get away. Um, and I don't know if leading up to that, I knew that it would work, but I believed that it would work enough to, to do it. So I always like to say that the, the, the miracle happens at the transition between believing and knowing, right? Believing is enough to get you to do it. Um, the knowing is enough to get it to stay. Uh -huh. So if, if I only believed that it would work after afterwards, as soon as I would get a twitch and I thought that it was anything other than a twitch, the pain would have come right back. Yeah. Right. So like, as soon as I would have said, Oh my gosh, here we go again. Didn't work. Right. Then instantly it, it would manifest that, Oh wait, it, it didn't work. So there's, there's that facilitating the knowing, right. That gives it that staying power. But then yeah. everything that happens after that moment also facilitates that knowing, right? So as soon as I paddleboarded across the Columbia River, right, that locked in even more because a day before I couldn't have paddleboarded in the, in the bathtub, right? So that facilitated it. Um, as soon as I started doing stuff with other people and seeing it work in other people, it facilitated it even more. 
Um, and so now it's, it's not even a question, right, of if it worked or how it worked. It, it worked because one, it's able to work, but also because life is in a movie, but the, the ego or whatever that fear is that we have wants to tell us that everything has something to do with the last thing that happened, right? Like it's a constant. But the, the reason that it works is because the only real connection we have to the last moment in time is our, is our own thinking. Because each moment in time is its own moment in time. So something can be one way one second and be something totally different the next second. So it's not that I healed like, or was healing in that time that I put the pain in the rock. I was one moment I was not healed and the next moment it was healed. But healed like it never even happened because the only thing that, the only thing that was attaching me to it was, was my own fears, my own thinking. So um, if, if there's energy and information or particle and wave, however you, you, you know, want to look at, you know, how reality is made up, um, you can change the energy and, and hope eventually that the information changes so that it'll stay. Or you can just change the information and then the energy will do something different. So as soon as the information shows up as not torn, not broken, um, not herniated, whatever that is, then the energy goes along 